You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. You know, when I think about the gospels, all the Word of God is good. But the Gospels seem to be the heart of the Word of God because it tells us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. If you could take all the events of the Gospels, there is 72 steps from Bethlehem's manger to the Mount of Ascension in the life of Christ. But if you could take all those events and put them together, it's less than 40 days. And what that tells us is that Jesus Christ lived the most amazing life that could ever be lived. He had the most amazing ministry of any man that's ever lived upon this earth because he himself is the most amazing person that you and I have ever met. It talks about his 36 miracles of our Savior in the Gospels and the 38 parables and the 19 prayers and and the 16 Old Testament references that Jesus made in the Gospels. It also gives us the 37 names and titles of our Savior and 15 different kinds of suffering that Jesus Jesus went through, not just in his death, but throughout all of his life. It records 27 souls that Jesus led to Christ, or led to himself. And then the seven sayings of the cross, as Jesus was on the cross, seven of those, or four, or three of those seven sayings were prayers that Christ made as he was on the cross. The, the first prayer he prayed was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then the fourth saying was the second prayer, as in those hours of darkness, he cried out and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then his final saying and the final person that he talked to before he closed his eyes in death was his father. As he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus Christ is the most amazing person that ever lived. But he's not just a person. He's with every bit as much man as you and I. But thank God he's every bit as much God. Amen. He had the human side and the divine side. When we think about Christ, we think about his 10 resurrection appearances and the various places that Jesus visited while he was here on this earth and the various vast people that he came in contact with, everyone that ever stood in the presence of this Galilean. They stood all the same, whether they loved him or rejected him. They stood amazed at the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. Amen. And I think about Christ uh, 2,000 years now. I have to testify I'm sure you will as well that Jesus Christ is the greatest person. He's the greatest individual that I've ever met in my lifetime. He changed my life not just for time, but thank God for eternity. You may go a lot of places in this Bible to read about Daniel, but some places you will not find him. You can go a lot of places and read about David, but some places you will not find him. You can go a lot of places and read about the Apostle Paul, but there's some places you will not find him. But friend, there's not a chapter There's not a verse, uh, there's not a story, there's not a type, uh, there's not a shadow, uh, there's not a principle, there's not a precept, there's not a jot, and there's not a tittle that what it doesn't elevate uh, our Savior. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He's a Prince of Peace. Uh, I'm not preaching. I just want to magnify Jesus. Amen. Uh, Daniel said he's the will and 
inside the wheel. Ezekiel said, Daniel said he's a fourth man in the fire. He's a stone hewn out of a rock. Matthew said he's a king of the Jews. Luke said he's a servant of God and the son of man. Thank God he just is. Amen. Anywhere you go in this book, you're going to find Jesus. Amen. The psalmist said he's my buckler and my shield and my strong and mighty tower. He's a refuge in the time of storm. He's a shepherd of our valley. He's a song of the church. He's a bright in the morning star. He's fairer than ten thousands. He's a lily of the valley. He's a rose of Sharon. Thank God he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the door. He's a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's a chief shepherd. He's the anchor of our salvation. Thank God he is that which is, which was, and which is to come. He's the almighty, saith the Lord. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's the lamb of God, and he's the breath of God, and he's the image of God, and he's the son of God, and he's the only begotten of God, and he is God. Hallelujah. He just is. Bless his name. Woo. Praise God. Isn't it good to know him? I didn't mean to say all that, but I'm not sorry I did. Because this passage opens up and Jesus. Anything about Jesus is wonderful. And when I think about this story and I think about this passage of Scripture, this is the third circuit that Jesus is making through Galilee. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, he made the first circuit with some of his disciples. And then in Matthew chapter 8, he made a second circuit uh, with all 12 of his disciples. And now Christ is going through Galilee for a third time. And in this third time, he's getting ready to commission and to send out some of his disciples. Now, I want you to notice a few things about Jesus here in this text. And then I'll give you our thought and a few other things and we'll be done. I want you to see first of all in verse 35 that we find Jesus seeking. Amen. The Bible says and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. Jesus is seeking in this, in this passage. You say what is he seeking? Well it's not so much what he's seeking but it's who he is seeking. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 he said the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Uh, and Jesus is seeking out sinners. Amen. He's always been seeking out sinners. Uh, he may be at the right hand of the Father uh, this morning, but I promise you he's still seeking sinners in 2023 just like he was in this text. Amen. But when I see Jesus seeking in this verse, uh, here's what I notice. Uh, I notice that he's leading the way. Amen. The Bible said that Jesus went about all the cities. Uh, in other words, uh, he's fixing to commission the disciples to do this, uh, but he never asked them to do anything that what he wasn't willing to do himself. He is leading the way in this verse. Uh, he's not only leading the way, but notice in verse number 35, he's not leaving anyone out. Amen? Notice the Bible said that he went about, and you ought to circle this word, he went about all the cities and the villages. Amen? He didn't leave any place out. He went to the large places, that's the cities. He went to the little places, 
places, that's the villages. In other words, there was no place too big that he would not go, and there was no place too small that he would not go. I'm glad for the day that he came to where I was. Amen. Don't you thank God for the day that he came to where you was. He may have found you in a city. He may have found you in a village, but thank God he found you. Amen. And Jesus is seeking in this verse, and he's leading the way, and he's leaving no one out. But not only is he seeking in verse 35, I want you to notice he's serving. Amen. Jesus is serving people in this verse. Look at his ministry. The Bible said that he was teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus has a teaching ministry. He's ministering to their mind, their spirit. He has a preaching ministry. He's preaching to their souls, amen. He has a healing ministry. He's helping and he's healing their body. Man is a triune being. And in this verse, uh, uh, God is meeting every area of his life uh, and only God can do that. Jesus taught them first. He touched their intellect. He preached the gospel to them. He preached to their soul. And then the Bible said he healed every sickness uh, and every disease. Uh, Now, we don't need to let the cares scares off on that. I'm telling you, we still believe in a divine healer, amen? And that is God, amen? Not man, but God has the ability to still heal every disease and every sickness. Uh, There was no disease that what he could not heal. He was showing his power, but Jesus taught them first. He preached secondly to them, and then he healed them. And so Jesus is serving in this verse. You know, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is informative. Preaching demands a response. Nobody leaves the church because they got mad at what was taught. But there's a lot that leave because they get mad at what was preached. Preaching gets in your face. Preaching uh, demands us to do something. And and Jesus instructed them first, uh, and then he inspired them. Hey, preaching will inspire you, won't it? Amen. Preaching will move you. And Jesus taught them, and then he preached the gospel unto them. Can you imagine that? You see, it is the gospel according to Matthew. It's the gospel according to Mark. It is not the gospel of Luke, but it's the gospel according to Luke. But it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? It's his gospel, and he's preaching to them. I would have loved to hear the preaching of Jesus in that day, and Jesus in this text, uh, he is seeking and he is serving, but notice in verse number 36 uh, that Jesus is seeing, amen? The Bible says, but when he saw the multitude. I read that little phrase, and I thought to myself, why did Jesus see the multitude? The answer's in verse 35, because he went about. You see, you can't see the multitude from your recliner. You can't see the multitude from your living room, from your church office, even from your pulpit. You gotta go where they're at. 
And the reason he saw the multitude was because he went about. I thought about another question. Where did Jesus see the multitude? He saw them in the cities and in the villages. He saw them everywhere he went. You know, everywhere you go, if you'll just look around, there's sinners everywhere we go. It doesn't matter if you're in a large place or a little place. Uh, there's sinners all around us. And Jesus saw the multitude. And where did he see them? But when did he see them? He saw them while he was teaching and while he was preaching and while he was healing. Oh, listen, men of God, when we do preach, uh, we've got to look beyond the numbers and we got to look beyond, uh, uh, listen, all the, uh, you know, just all the, uh, the religious uh, formalities. Uh, uh, but we got to see the souls of men uh, and we got to preach for the souls of men. Uh, uh, souls are still weighing in the balance. Uh, and when we get up to preach, uh, we need to preach with a burden. Amen. We need to preach with a passion. Uh, and we need to preach with faith uh, that God will save sinners. Uh, I'm telling you, Jesus saw the multitudes. Jesus is seeking and Jesus is serving and Jesus is seeing. But notice something else in this text. Jesus is stirred. The Bible says in verse 36, he is moved. You know, I'm interested in anything that moves God. And I notice the way that he is moved is because of what he saw. What he saw, his eye affected his heart. You see, if you don't ever visit the mission field or see the mission field, you'll never have a burden for missions. If you don't see sinners, You'll never have to be moved about sinners. And Jesus is stirred in this text. He, he stirred with compassion. I, I noticed that, that, that compassion is moving the heart of God. If there's anything that we need to be stirred with in this hour, we need to be stirred with com compassion. Uh, Jesus Christ was a man of conviction. He was a man that stood for what was right. He was the very embodiment of truth within itself. Uh, but yet, listen, he had conviction, but he had compassion. And you can still have that. You can be old-fashioned with compassion compassion. Amen. You don't have to compromise your compassion in order to strengthen your conviction. Amen. Jesus never backed up on anything. He never let any standards down. He never compromised one iota, but yet he was moved with a heart full of love by what he saw. He is stirred with compassion. I've heard a lot of right sermons, but wrong spirits. Right message, but wrong man. Jesus is stirred. Jesus is seeing. But now I want you to notice this. Here's our thought. Verse 37, Jesus is speaking. Then saith he unto his disciples. After all this seeking and serving and after all that he has seen and he's been stirred on the inside by what he has saw on the outside, now he wants to say something. You say, why is he so stirred in this text? Well, he's stirred because of, of the multitude. He, he's moved with compassion because they're weak. The Bible said they, because they faint and they're, they're wandering. They're scattered abroad and, and they're without. The Bible says they're without a sheep having no shepherd. And, and Jesus, he sees all this and, and on the inside of him, there is a burden. And he wants to share that burden with his disciples. I want to tell you this morning, the same burden that Jesus has in verse 37 and 38 with those disciples is the same burden that he has 
today, right now, with us as his disciples. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on the burden of Jesus Christ. Because we live in a day when it seems like so many of God's people are burdened down. But so few have the burden that they need to have. See, there's a difference in having burdens and having his burden. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest in your souls for my yoke is easy. And notice this, he said, my burden is what? It's light. I have found that if we'll make our burden his burden, then all the other burdens of life somehow, some way, will take care of themselves. Galatians 6 and verse 2 tells us there's burdens that we're to share. Every man, we are to bear one another's burdens. And then verse 5 tells us there are burdens to shoulder. Every man must bear his own burden. And then Psalms 55 tells us that there are burdens that we're to shed. We're to cast our burden upon the Lord and he'll sustain thee. And I'll tell you, when it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, while we're here, what this meeting is all about, what everything that we're doing is all about is that our hopes would be that when we leave this place that we would leave not burdened down but that we would leave with the burden of Jesus Christ on our heart that our focus would be his focus that our burden would be his burden that our goal would be his goal in these verses we see Jesus busy in verse 35 we see him broken in verse 36 but here he is he's burdened in verse 37 and 38 he wants to talk to his disciples you say Brother Gravely, why is the burden of Jesus Christ so important? I'll tell you why. Because it is the heartbeat of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is the responsibility of every Christian that we have his burden. And the question for me and the question for you is, is my burden in ministry Whatever it is you're doing, I don't care if you're a preacher, a missionary, evangelist, a song leader, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor's wife, a, a deacon, it doesn't matter, a lay person in the church, the question is the same for us all to this morning. What is my burden? Is my, what is it that, that drives me? Is it the ministry or is it the man? The burden, I want to give you three things about the burden of Jesus Christ. Number one, it involves a special place, a specific place. Notice he said, the harvest truly is plenteous. Verse 38, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. It involves a specific place. And Jesus gave us that first phrase when he spoke about his burden. And that, that, that phrase involves this specific place. He said the harvest truly is plenteous. And when we think about the word harvest, it is mentioned three times in these verses here. The first time he's talking about the lost in the harvest. As he said, the harvest truly is plenteous. Then he talks about the Lord of the harvest. As he said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. And then he emphasizes is the laborers of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is all about one thing. He's all about the harvest. Uh, he, he's all about the harvest. Uh, I mean, that's what he came for. He didn't come to heal. He didn't, he didn't come for a healing ministry. He came for a harvest, friend. Uh, he came to harvest some souls, amen. Uh, and he harvested souls while he was here. And when he went back to heaven, he commissioned his disciples uh, uh, to go into all the world. You see, that 
That's where the harvest is at. It's in the world. Amen. Jesus said the field is the world. And listen, God's put you in a field, in this field, in a particular, a specific place. He's put me in a specific place. We're all in different places, but we're all in his harvest. Amen. And he wants us to labor in the field that he's put us in. He wants us to put our hand to the plow and not look back and plow while it's day, while we can still work. I'm saying, my friend, his burden involves a specific place. What do you see when you see this world? Do you see a harvest? You know, growing up as a child, my, my dad, it was amazing. We, we lived in an apartment complex, but we lived at the back of that complex. And my dad, we had seven gardens growing up. And when I say a garden, I don't mean three or four rows. I mean, anywhere he would find a spot of ground, we, we plowed it and we planted. We put out 153 tomato plants every year. I don't know why we put out 153. It may have been, it wasn't 154 and it wasn't 152. It was always 153. I think it had something to do with the cups, you know. And we, we made our own, we, we raised pink German tomatoes. And uh, we, we lived in an apartment complex, but he went across the, the ditch line over there and cleared out a, a massive honeysuckle patch and, and we had chickens and we had rabbits and we had, uh, you know, we had everything you can't have in apartments. We just had it on somebody else's property. <laughs> you know what was amazing about that? The people who owned the property was from California. They never showed up. We lived there for probably 12 years and we were squatters on their property and they never even knew that. You can do that where I'm from, amen. But I didn't like gardening when I was a kid. I didn't like all the plowing and the planting and and the hoeing and, and every afternoon from school and, and, and summertime we always put out late uh, gardens so that we would, we would re- and when the garden was over with then we had to clean them all off and sow them in, and turnips and, and, and so it never did, really did end you know it's always something to do but I like the harvest how many of y'all like, how many of y'all like tomato sandwiches well if you're saved you do if you've ever had a good one, I'm talking. When I say a good one, I'm talking about. Listen, when you get some giant bread and then you get a pink German tomato and you cut it about that thick, amen. Where it's hanging off both sides of the bread and you put about a half a gallon of mayonnaise and cheese and and about that thick of a cut of bologna, amen. You put that on that. I'm telling you, bite into that, friend. You think you died and went to the third heaven? I didn't like all that other work, but I tell you what, I sure, and, and tomato juice, I'm talking about homemade. I drank, a, the first time I ever drank V8, I was 18 years old. I stopped at a, at a convenience store and I turned that up and I spit it out. I said, that's not tomato juice. I'm talking about when it runs down the back of your neck and, and it's thicker than pudding and it's salty, amen? And it cleans everything in its pathway. I'm talking about, hey, that's tomato juice, friend. That's what we grew up on. But you know what? We had a specific place every day we had to go. And you can't harvest when it's plowing time. You can't harvest when it's planting time. 
But we know that we knew that there was coming a time when there was a when there would be a harvest. And, and can I tell you, the harvest is a truly is plenteous. What that means is the word harvest, it tells us that it's ready. Amen. Listen, you don't gotta wait. Sinners are out there and they're ready, amen. If you want to know why they're doing what they're doing and living the way they're living and saying the things that they're saying, it's because they're lost and they're blind and they need to be harvested, amen. Uh, there's a harvest for you and there's a harvest for me. Uh, I don't know how many souls I'll win in my lifetime. I don't know how many souls you'll win. But I'll tell you, as the songwriter said, if just one soul came down the aisle and got saved, your life here on earth was worth living every day. There is a harvest uh, and the harvest is real. Amen. And it's ready and it's ripe. The burden of Jesus involves a specific place. You see, Brother Gravely, I'm in a hard place. No, you're not in a hard place because all places are hard. The grass isn't greener anywhere else. You say, but you, I mean, I, I'm in a hard, no, you're, in, you're not in a hard place. You're in his place. You're where God puts you. And if you're in his place, don't you worry about the harvest, amen? It'll come in due season. I'll tell you what I found out about those seven gardens uh, is that some of them yielded more fruit than the other, but guess what? Every time it came plowing season, didn't make no difference. Uh, we was gonna plow every one of them up. We was gonna plant everywhere. We was gonna, listen, this ground may have gave more than this ground, but we still plowed and we still planted and we still reaped anyway because it was still worth the sweat. It was still worth the toil. It was still worth the tears and man of God you stay where God puts you you keep on preaching you keep on knocking doors you be the man of God of that town and that city that God sent you to you keep on winning sinners you keep on passing out tracks you keep going door to door you say but not a whole lot's happening it may not be harvest time today but it may be harvest time tomorrow but you just stay with it he's got you in a specific place and you keep plowing you plow with everything you can you go all for the glory of God. Amen. You stay in the trenches. You keep on keeping on. Because the harvest, the burden of Jesus, you say, why am I there? Because it's his burden. Specific place. And then I want you to see secondly, not only does the burden of Jesus Christ involve a specific place, but a serious problem. He said the harvest truly is plenteous, but notice verse 37, but the labor's are few. There's a serious problem with this harvest. There's nothing wrong with the field. There's nothing wrong with the fruit. There's nothing wrong with the facts. There's nothing wrong with the, the, the Father, but the problem, Jesus makes it very clear in verse number 37. We have a serious problem about this harvest, and it's the labors because they're few. Hey, it's not time to back up, it's not time to retire. It's not time to quit. You may change fields and you may change ministries and God may move you in, in a different direction, but that don't mean you're done. That don't mean that it's over with. There is something for you to do. I'm telling you, as long as there's breath in your body, there is a place in the service of God for you to keep on working. You say, but I can't do the things I used to do. That doesn't matter. Change don't mean it's over. Change don't mean it's done. A change just means God has still got a work for you to do and you find out what it is and you keep on serving and you be faithful and you keep on winning souls. You keep on going after sinners all the days of your life. 
He'll never quit. I think about a dear gentleman I know this morning who's 85 years old. And he used to be the vice president of a great ministry. And he got to where he could no longer do that, and so he began to work in track ministry. And then he got to where he could no longer do that, and just the other day, he said to myself and a few other men, he said, I'm not quitting. He said, every morning, he said, I'm going to get up. He's more feeble now than he ever has been. He said, every morning I'm going to get up and put on my shirt and tie like I have all these years. And he said, I've got an office in the house. He's moved closer to his son now. And he said, I've got an office in my house. And he said, I'm going to go to that office every day. And he said, I'm going to sit down. And he said, I'm going to use my hand and use my mind for what days I have left. And he said, I'm going to write. He said, I'm going to help people. I'm going to help. He said, what's he doing? He's still laboring for what he's doing. There's no quit. There's no throw in the towel. There's no time to just sit down and settle down and, and cool down. We've got to keep on going. We're on the last leg of the journey. The finish line is in sight. I'm telling you, the, the king is coming, friend. And when he comes, I want to be in the field. I want to be in the fight. I want to be in the vineyard. I want to be laboring. I want to keep on, keep it on. Hey, man of God, that's what this meeting is about, is get something down in your heart. You say, I don't know what to get in my heart. Get his burden down in your heart. Go back to the place God put you and labor. There's a serious problem. We need laborers now more than ever. If you sing in the choir, don't quit singing in the choir. Is that right? A few, it's probably two or three years ago, I had a, a couple ladies in our church. They were well up in their late 80s, and so I, we had some high, have some high steps going up into the choir, and one of them was going up to the choir, and I, I said to her, I said, now listen, I, and I was just trying to be cordial, you know. I said, now listen, if you get to where you, you, you don't have to come sing in the choir now. She looked at me like I just told her I was going to preach out of an NIV Bible. She said, I'm not quitting singing in the choir. I said, well, I'm just trying to watch out for you. She said, God's going to take care of me. I said, okay, sister, help yourself. Don't you thank God for that generation? Because we got 25-year-olds. that won't, They'll sing one Sunday in the choir, and you can't find them the next week. Or they'll show up for Sunday school this week, and they're missing next week. And they don't take anything to knock them out anymore. I'm going to tell you that older generation, they just keep, they're tougher than a pine knot. They just keep going and they just keep rolling with the punches. Hey, you don't got to be 85 years old to be that tough, amen? You don't got to be 85 years old to have that kind of stamina about you. What you got to do is get on an altar somewhere to make your mind up that all the days of my life, whether young or old or middle age, I'm going to spend my days serving God and giving my best and laboring because we can't afford for anybody to throw in the towel. We got to keep on keeping on. We got to keep on pressing on. We got to keep on moving on. There's a harvest, and his burden has to be our burden. Labor. Go after somebody. Go find somebody this week and win them to Jesus. I remember a lady in our church, she's in heaven tonight, but she got, or this morning, she got, she lived just on the corner from our church. In fact, if you stepped out on the front porch of our church, you could see that house. They've remodeled it since then, but at that time it was right across from our church sign. Brother Cooper, you, you've been there, so you see it was an old, just an old dilapidated house. And she was drugs, alcohol, you name it, men, 
Her own grandchildren, her own children wouldn't bring her grandchildren to come visit with her. Her mind was always burnt up through drugs. And I could tell you, I won't bother you with the stories, but a lot of things that she would do just to wreak havoc on our church. And I really believe this woman was demon-possessed. I remember one year we was having a meeting and she showed up and, and she was going to write satanic symbols all over the, the fellowship hall. And I pulled up one day at that stop sign and she was sitting there on a cin two cinder blocks that went up into her house, the steps. Her eyes were all washed out. and She had took some metal scissors and had chopped her hair all up. And she smiled and she didn't have a tooth in her head because of the drugs. She smiled and waved. And I'm going to tell you, in that very moment, God just broke my heart. I said, God, I want to see that lady get saved. But I said, you, you can't even talk to her. She don't even make any sense. And the Lord said, you go back to the church and you ask the church to pray for her. And that Wednesday night, we gathered around the altar and we prayed that God would open her mind and give her an opportunity to be saved. And to make a long story short, she came to church probably two or three months after that, two or three times, run off a few visitors in a service because she was acting so strange. They just, the whole uh, few of people got up and just walked out, visitors. They were scared of her. And on that Sunday night, I noticed she came in that Sunday night and she looked a little different. She was carrying a little orange Gideon's New Testament. And the choir was singing and she walked in and she sat down about halfway and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, go back there and talk to her. And I said, Lord, she's not going to make any sense. And I went back there and I said, Manetta, I said, why, why are you coming? It was the first thing she said to me that ever made sense. She looked up at me and I mean with tears running down her face. She said, I'm tormented. And she said, I want peace. I started back down that aisle and I'll tell you the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. There was a track in my Bible by Brother Stenet Blue on, on Do You Want Peace? And the Holy Spirit said, that's what you're preaching tonight. About a seven-minute sermon, I gave that track, that gave the gospel. I said, if you're here and you're lost and you want to be saved, she made a beeline, come down that aisle and got in the altar. And I'm going to tell you, God opened up her mind and gave her her mind, I believe, for that moment. And she got gloriously saved in the altar. And me and my wife was with her. I said, Manette, I said, what did God do for you? He said, he just saved me. She said, can I say something? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I didn't have that kind of faith and I, you know, let's just be honest we don't always know if they really get saved or not just cause she said so I wouldn't know it's a big gamble I can tell you that much I said we'll try it and see how it goes she stood up and gave one of the greatest testimonies ever given by a sinner in our church she stood up and she said I know you all know I'm crazy she said, but tonight I'm in my right mind. She said, and the Lord just saved me. God saved her soul. She became one of the best members of our church, singing our, our church choir. You couldn't have picked her out from nobody else. And, and she got cancer. About three years later, I went to the hospital to see her, and she's always smiling, always smiling. And, and, and her, her family started coming back, and they started bringing her grandchildren. And, and she had got all of her teeth by her. Somebody, somebody in the family brought her a set of teeth. and I mean, she just looked like a totally different person. I went to the hospital when they told her she had cancer. She was ate up with it. I said, Manette, I'm sorry to hear what she said. Don't be sorry for me, preacher. She said, I've struggled all my life. And she said, I'm going to go to heaven. She said, don't feel sorry for me. I'm telling you, there's a serious problem. God's got someone for every one of us if we'll go after them. But the labors are few. 
The burden of Jesus Christ involves a specific place. It involves a serious problem, but notice this. It involves a single prayer. Look what he said in verse 38. I think this is a great verse. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. He gives us the lesson, the Lord and the laborers of the harvest in this verse. But what's most interesting about this verse is that this is the only prayer request Jesus ever had. You think about all the 19 prayers recorded of our Savior. You think about the, that high priestly prayer in John 17 when he prayed for the disciples and, and he prayed for himself and he prayed for the whole world. He prayed for you and me. Mark 1.35 said, rising up a great while before day, he went out into a solitary place and there he prayed. Jesus spent his whole life in prayer. And every prayer that he ever prayed, the Father answered. He told Peter, I prayed for thee that thy faith fell not. Jesus prayed in the wilderness, in the desert, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He literally prayed himself into the glory of God that day as it ran out of his face. Jesus knew more about prayer, so much about prayer, that the disciples never asked him to learn how to preach or never learned, uh, asked him to learn how to teach, but they did come to him and say, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Why? Because Jesus spent much of his life in prayer, most of his life, all of his life, really, in prayer. And even right now, he's at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for us. I don't know all that Jesus has done in eternity today, but I know one thing he's done. He's prayed for me and he's prayed for you. Amen. And I was sitting there and I read that verse one day and I thought to myself, if I had to write down every prayer request that I've ever asked the Lord for, that he has answered, there is absolutely no way I could remember all this. You think about this. How many requests in your lifetime have you had that Jesus has answered? You don't even know, do you? It's said that Mueller recorded 50,000 prayers that had been answered. And somebody asked George Mueller, said, Mr. Mueller said, how'd you get God to answer all those prayers? He said, I just never stopped asking. But I don't know how many prayers that I've had requests that I've had that he has answered. And you don't know how many prayer requests that he's answered in your life, but think about this. He only has one request. Jesus said, I've got one thing I want you to pray about, disciples. This is my burden. This is what's on my heart. This is what I, I've, I, I, there's only one thing I want you to pray about. Pray ye the Lord of the harvest. And ask him this that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. That's his burden, is that someone would sign up and someone would be sent. And you know what occurred to me about that verse is that I can answer that request. I thank God he's answered all my requests, but what about us answering his request? I'm telling you, every time you pass out a track, Every time you show up for visitation, every time you go after somebody, every time you labor in the field, every time you go back to the pulpit, every time you go back to the office, every time you, you get another sermon, in spite of what you may have faced or went through, every time you sign back up and you labor one more time, you just answered his request. Pray ye therefore the Lord. A single prayer request. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, I want to do something for you. Well, then just get his burden. 
His burden is the harvest. His burden is labors in the field. Man of God, stay faithful. Preacher's wife, don't give up. I think the preacher's wife gets more abuse than anybody. But you keep on keeping on. You're a laborer. You're a soldier. You're in the field. You're in the greatest harvest of the world. And no, every day's not fun. And no, every day you don't get recognition. And yes, you, you'll be mistreated. And yes, you'll be misunderstood. And, and, and sometimes things, are, you're, you're going to have bitter experiences and you're going to have wonderful experiences. And, and at the end of the day, sometimes you get tired in the body. But remember, you're laboring. You're working. You're in a field. And you're in his field. Hudson Taylor at the age of 17, walked in his father's office one day and knocked over a basket of tracks. And when them tracks fell over, one of those tracks that fell out said, the finished work of Christ. And Taylor picked that up and he read that track. And at that moment, Taylor said to himself, if there's nothing left to do, if Jesus did it all, if it's all been finished at Calvary, then the only thing left for me to do is to accept it. And under conviction, he fell on his knees in his father's office. And he got born again. Now, nobody remembers his father. But hey, Hudson Taylor, for 51 years, went to China. He's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest missionary since the Apostle Paul. All because he read one gospel track one day. Sent over 800 missionaries in his lifetime and started over 300 offices in the China Inland Mission. Taylor died in 1905 and by 1915 when communism came into China, that number had already grown from in just those 10 year span from 860 something to 960 something missionaries. Fruit remaining even after he was gone. Everybody knows Dr. Lee Robertson as it's already been mentioned. But the reason we know Dr. Lee Robertson and the reason that we know the great Highland Park Baptist Church is because one day a Sunday school teacher by the name of Daisy Halls, she taught two boys in the back of a little church, pulled a curtain, and at 14, Dr. Robertson got under conviction and he got saved. You know why he got saved? You know why we, we had the great Highland Park Baptist Church? And I think Hiles said that he wept the day that his Sunday school surpassed Highland Park's in Sunday school. He wept all day. You know why we had that? Why missionaries around the globe and, and chapels and, and, and preachers that were called and all those graduates? You saw because of the great Dr. Lee Robertson. Yes, yes, but also because of a Sunday school teacher <laughs> that was willing to labor for two, not the thousands, but she was willing to labor for the two. She answered his prayer, and God answered hers. This morning as we stand, i tell you what was on my heart. I, I wanted to preach something else, but the burden of Jesus Christ. We need his burden. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your burden is, and maybe it is this, but I don't want to lose my burden. And I don't want to exchange my burden. I don't want my burden to be the ministry. 
I want it to be the harvest. I don't want my burden to be a schedule or recognition or a position or a title. I don't even want it to be a reward. I want it to be the harvest. Souls, sinners, they sung that song, I'm just a sinner. I, I want to be reminded of that every day of my life. I am just a sinner saved by grace. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.